Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Winning Plays Podcast is back, and the Celtics offseason is officially here. My name is Brian Robb, joined by Ryan Bernardoni, and now staring down the line at a a very, I don't know, is this going to be a tough Celtics offseason? Like, like what's... What are your impressions now going into the offseason, first of all, Ryan, in terms of where this team's at? Like, how, what's the level of failure essentially with this season now, and how much needs to be addressed, you know, going into this summer just out of the gate? Yeah, I mean, right. It's a disappointing end. It's hard to it's hard to look at any any other fan base around the league and be like, oh, 57 wins in the conference finals and losing in game seven, like, oh, is a brutal year. Because uh, most fan bases would would kill for that. The the round before you see the 76ers going out and they're like, oh, we haven't made the conference finals in over 20 years. And Celtics are just like, oh, we yeah, that's what we do every year. Um, but once you've done it a couple of times, it's obviously disappointing when when you seem to to be hitting a ceiling there. Uh, and, and that series was obviously particularly difficult. It's just a million things going against them in a, in a series that everybody went in feeling really confident about. And then just nothing goes right for the entire time. And, and that's the end. Um, the season, I mean, we know like the regular season was very up and down. There were times when it felt like the team was a top tier title contender and other times when we were like, it really didn't feel like that at all. And then you get into the playoffs and and all the series are more of a slog than you would like them to be. So, um, it's disappointing to, to be talking about the off season at this point in terms of what the off season is going to be like. You know, uh, six months ago, we thought it was going to be very straightforward, a team that was very stable and, and locked in. And now with the new CBA, you're looking at quite a few questions that need to be answered um, and whether or not they need to be answered this year or next or the year after that is, I'm sure, what we'll what we'll discuss. But um, it's hard to know exactly what's coming in this offseason after thinking again, like once they made the Brogdon trade, like it seemed like this roster would be kept together for a couple of years at, at the very least, and that it would be super stable. And that that was sort of the calling card of what Brad was doing as a GM. And now all of a sudden, maybe it's not. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I You were there for the press conference today, right? It, it sounded like they still are focused on that sort of stability and, and keeping the team together. Um, but you know, how much of that is talk versus their, the reality of their plans. Right. And that's that's question. So Brad Stevens did talk to us today at the Airbag Center. It was probably I am credit. It was like a 25 minute press conference. He pretty much took everything um, on the chin. It was, I guess, surprisingly, I don't think he was upbeat for it, but 
as far like you mentioned, right? He was very much, you know, we're, we're staying in the course here and it was tough, but there was a lot of good things about the year and we want to build on that. So the Joe Mazzulla is back. He wants to beef up the bench, like shocker, um, whatever that means. And how many coaches are going to be involved in that? I mean, every race we see him, I'm guessing it's going to be more than one um, based on the, where the rest of the assistants might be heading down to yeah. Houston. If they lose three, they better do. Happy yeah. Right. It's like, one, considering the skeleton crew, I, they were already running. So, and, and what, what kind of, I don't know if you saw the post from this, right. But like, he was like, yeah, you know, it's tough of timing. Like we, we tried to do it, but we also had a good staff. So it's like, what, what was it? One or the other here. Like you try to do it. And like, honey, who would you talk to? Was it, you're not paying enough for these people? Like what, you know, I know obviously there's implications involved and, but I think, I would expect there had been plenty of people that are were not employed right now that would love to bet on that bench. So I know you want to find the right mix, and but given how this season went for Joe and the the pieces they lost during both the beginning of the season and then obviously the middle of the season with with Damon Stoudemire, like that's one of those things where it's just like in hindsight, it's just like oof, especially with this some of the the mismanagement at some of the end of these games. And maybe everybody was waiting to see if they could get the uh, the Robert Williams contract from from Detroit that Monty Williams yeah, got right. <laughs> twelve million a year. Uh, maybe Oof. there were some coaches sitting out there going, eh, "I don't know if I want to be an assistant." But um, right, like it was weird. It was always weird. It was weird in the moment that they didn't hire anybody on, particularly after Stoudemire left. But but right from the beginning, and and I think if you are in the position of the general manager and you're trying to think over multiple years, like you can very much make the, the case that it was like, it was a season where they had the, they put plans that they believed in, in place and they were the number two seed. And they were even in a series where they had a whole lot of stuff go against them. Miserable shooting on their part, amazing shooting for the heat, badly timed injuries, you know, some officiating decisions that, that killed some momentum here and there. Um, and then just their own collapse in game two, you know, doing things that they've been doing too often, which you can't really blame on. So some things that you feel more were in their control and went poorly and other things that you just kind of feel like they were almost out of their control. It still goes to seven games in the conference finals. And so you can very much look at it and say, you know, we we hired a coach or we elevated a coach 20 minutes before the season started. There was no no opportunity to implement things in the offseason um it's difficult you know one season is not a ton of time we know that teams don't have a lot of practice time and things like that and to be able to look at that and say look this plan maybe would have worked had we just been able to have stability in in the coaching staff and that if we run it back next year you know maybe we will have that and that and that it will come to fruition um and that you sort of just feel like it was close and it was just sort of a cursed ending to the year so i i get it um i think we've we've talked I've talked to a lot of other people about it and everybody is sort of like, it's a really big risk to keep him is the problem. It's not that it can't work that, you know, having Missoula be the head coach again, can't work. You're betting on his own development and improvement in second year and having an off season and getting a better coaching staff and all that. But he was in over his head this year. Uh, and what, if that continues on next year, then you could find yourself in a position where you're saying, well, we just had Jason Tatum's age 25 and 26 seasons when he was first team all NBA and wasted it because of not having a good enough coach in, in position. And that's the risk you're running, which is a, a real one, but that's the decision that Brad has to make. And that's sort of what, what comes with the seat that he's sitting in and, and you can 
you know, convincingly make the argument the other way that that they should have more time and and continue to believe in the path that they had set originally. Yeah. And that's I think certainly with them coming back in that series and forcing a seventh game against Miami that like Joe earned that um, like that right. And for the and to take that risk because the the other solutions right now also pose risks of the term of alienating the players and alienating, you know, and having to start all over again for the the fourth straight year. And so there's there's obviously risk there, too. But you're right. Like that they, it's we don't want to it's fair not to underrate the, the risk of staying status quo. But again, if you if you find the right parts this offseason to put around him, you find, you know, knowing that they were that staff was undermanned um, from the start and then lost, I think, a real key piece from a from a player standpoint. And Damon Stoudemire, the only you know notable former player in the staff. But that's that's neither here nor there now. It, it's it is what it is. We'll and, see what parts still, come into place. It still starts with the players, right? Right. Like I all mean, of the, this ultimately comes down to the players and and different decisions and different ways that players probably should play to optimize some of the the parts that are on the team at, starting at the top with you know Jason and, and Jalen and, and also again a little bit of luck and they would be playing in the finals right now and we probably wouldn't be having this conversation at all or we certainly wouldn't be be yet uh, but first and foremost we can talk in forever about about coaching and it may have ultimately been one of the factors that cost them uh, at least going to the finals this year in my opinion it probably was although not the number one factor uh, but really in the end the who's playing and how and how well and how healthy and, and all that is always what matters more than than any of that really in in this league all right so let's get to the players then for entering this offseason Celtics have their top seven players under contract uh Grant Williams is the only member noble member of the rotation that's a restricted free agent here um and so they are very much set up to run it back as is. But as you start to outline on in your post on Medium about the CBA right now and the the new CBA coming into effect here, there are a whole bunch of ramifications now of if you even want if you even want to pay out, bring everyone back, there's going to be penalties that play here, both for the short term and then bigger ones for the long term. But so, so let's start here. Like do even if they want to bring everyone back next year, which I don't think they will, but like, is that even a feasible option from a financial and a penalty standpoint in your eyes? Uh, it's feasible. Now, some of that comes down to what Grant gets offered in restrictive free agency, right? Like if, right. if one team comes in and looks at this and says, well, the Celtics aren't going to pay him. And so we maybe under, under the old CBA, they would have said, eh, it's just money. We don't want to waste our waste our our cap space here on um going after a restricted free agent who we don't think we're gonna get anyway and and whatever it would have been less likely that somebody would even make a really strong offer but i think teams now could conceivably look at him and say we don't know if the celtics will match this offer uh, just because of the new cba and, and all that comes with it so but setting that aside let's say he gets something around the mid-level which is increasing next year so 12-ish million dollars somewhere around there and they are willing to pay another hefty luxury tax bill then yeah, they can run the team back. Um, and part of that is because Jalen's assumed extension 
doesn't kick in until the year after. But also part of that is some of the rules in the CBA come in after one year. Now, in my opinion, that is far too fast. Like it, that causes a whole is going to cause a host of problems across the entire league, the way that they're that they're bringing these rule changes in. But those rule changes are are one year away. So you very much could just run the team back. There are problems like I have some concerns about that. Uh, like I wouldn't do that like either. You can't for do it. Right. You can do it. Right. It's like it's there. It's not but... a completely irresponsible, wild decision for a team that was on the doorstep of the finals. You could say, like, listen, we're just heavily in on next year. And we know that these problems are going to come, but we think that this team can win the title next year. And so fine, like it's, it is not an unreasonable path, but I think it's probably not the correct path. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast. Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, so let's start with the biggest task at hand here. And I think number one is Jalen Brown situation. Um, as far as they can offer him a contract extension for up to the Supermax, which is up to nearly $300 million over five years that will kick in during the 2024, 25 season. Is, is there any case to be made at that point? You, you went into again, the, the challenges of building a team with him and Tatum also going to be getting that number a year after Jalen now. Um, but is there any case to be made knowing that, Jalen's trade market is probably uncertain given the fact that he's not going to be able to sign an extension with any team, with any team for six months after a trade, like the, the move here is to essentially re-sign him and then figure it out later. Is that, is that the most logical play essentially? I think so. I, I mean, similar to what we just said with about grant and restrictive reagency, it only takes one team. Like, if a team comes along and, and offers you something that you just would not expect to be offered for us, you know, for Jalen's situation where, like you said, you can't really, you can't viably extend him. You can, there's a six month waiting period and then you could extend him, but there's be no real reason for Jalen to extend at that point. He would still have to carry his, uh, you know, his, his performance bonuses and his incentives to his new contract. Whereas if he just waited a few more months, he could sign the same contract without those and get a full max and maybe, the player option and you can it would be a longer contract and all that kind of stuff that, that you would prefer you imagine so anybody who signs him isn't gonna be able to extend him now in that write-up i thought that a team that had enough cap space could do a renegotiation extension with him right after acquiring him because that's what you could do in the past and i hadn't seen any reporting on it but i went and actually read the document of what's available now and i believe that you can't even do that anymore like so if the spurs i i propose like maybe a, a weird team like the spurs gets involved because they could renegotiate and extend him and so they would feel more comfortable with with acquiring him but I don't even think that's true I think there's even a six-month waiting period on that now so it's hard to see where the market would be if you know one of the rumored teams right if the Houston Rockets come in and say here's a ton of draft picks and Jabari Smith and whatever and you're able to flip that to a third team for a player who or a couple of players who come back to you and they just make an offer that's like so draft heavy and all that that it wouldn't help the Celtics but you could come up with some way to pivot that into like it's feasible that something like that could come along. 
but I just don't think that it's likely enough to to be like a serious consideration. And then you hear the way that that Jason was talking and with the stuff that Brad was saying today, and it just sounds very much like what the decision is is that they are going to play this out at least one more year and offer him the supermax. Will there be some terms on that? You know, is it good? I, do they want to give him a player option at the end? Do they you know things like that 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 they could negotiate on? But I'm assuming that they are basically going to put. Do you want to come in at under thirty five percent? Yeah, I don't think so. Right. Um, and the problem there is what do you really gain out of it? Right. You right. get I mean, this is not the guy you want to do that with. I don't think this three million dollars make a difference. Like it's just if you get him at thirty percent, then it would make a big difference. But he's not going to sign that. Um, and you may just he may say you know well, then screw you, I'm going to go somewhere else in free agency next year. Uh, and I think that over time, we may see star players having to have that decision put to them more by team saying like, well, if you take less, then we can get you another player. Whereas before it was just like, if you take less, then it will save ownership tax money. Like that's not a great sales pitch, but like we can add another role player to, to come and play with you. Play, players will feel that pressure in the future, but this being the first year of it and Jalen being in the Players Association leadership, like I just think that it's, they're going to offer him 35%. He's going to sign it. They'll play out next year. And then if they win the title, it, it changes the way that it will be perceived and, and how they'll move forward from that point. If he has another step forward and resolve some of the, the problems in his game, then that could change things as well. But um, I think that they're basically, yeah, going to sign him and then wait a year and reevaluate at that point um, because then the numbers get ugly after that. So seeing that, that is the simplest choice for them right now. And the most obvious choice and a way to keep, I think everyone appeased and knowing that you want to sign Jason Tatum to a supermax next off season, a good way of blocking that in is probably keeping Jalen Brown around for, and maximizing your window for next year, which um, I think it'd be tough to do in any sort of, you know, conceivable trade scenario involving him. So then you look just through the rest of the roster right now. And I think the obvious place to look is the guard situation. You traded for Malcolm Brogdon last year. He became six man of the year. He was a nice offensive boost. Um, but even before he got hurt in the playoffs, I thought he was a little bit of was underwhelming um, in the first two series. And you just have to be frank, you I mean, you have like $60 million uh, for three guys there in Brogdon, Smart and White um, through the 24, 25 season. And with the, allocations of resources across your roster with the CBA implications in play here. Like it's, it's, I feel like there's a pretty strong case to be made that one of those guys should be moved. And we all know that's not going to be Derek white. So, or probably not Marcus Smart either. <laughs> like, I think if like, it's like Brogdon seems to be the, the play. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are, and have always been people in the organization who would be willing to trade smart and that they've obviously talked about income. It's been reported many times that they've come close on, on different things. So I wouldn't completely throw no, away like they, the they should go, they should, they should float it yeah. out. They should see what he's, uh, what his market is for sure. I think there's a possibility there, but in terms of his fit with the roster and his relationship with the players who are going to continue on. Yeah. It would be logical that they would, would shop Brogdon. Um, in my opinion, that's like the sort of base level of what, what they should be doing. So my concern going forward is that if they wait a year to do this, the, the, the new CBA is going to force them to cut costs on some somewhere in the roster, right? You can get rid of Jalen entirely and, and go cheaper second option and way cheaper second option. But 
Um, and that that's probably going to have to happen at some point anyway, but you're going to have to start moving towards a roster that is just less costly in your sort of mid rotation. And if you wait a year to do that, the problem is that there's going to be a bunch of other teams that probably have to do that at that point as well. And there may be a bunch of teams that try to do it this offseason. The Celtics may just be one of many teams that are trying to do it to try to get their books aligned for this new CBA. But if you wait until next year, you are at least running the risk of being in a trap where there's a half a dozen teams that are trying to, to dump significant amount of salary and only two or three teams that have the ability to take that money on. Uh, because you really can only trade those players into cap space now or you know wave and stretch them or something like extreme like that if you need to just purely cut money. And you don't want what you don't want to be in is like, oh, we have one more year of Malcolm Brogdon and we have to move and we have to give up a first round pick in order to get off that money or more than that, even because we're we're in this market where there's just not enough teams that can can take bad money. And if and the if you don't achieve that goal of removing that money, then you end up over the second apron and then you're encumbering draft picks seven years out into the future and you're at, you can't use your exceptions anymore and you can't make trades at that. Like it does so many has so many negative drawbacks to being stranded above that that new second second apron level the season after this one you kind of have to start moving now and getting your books in order so that you don't get caught in that trap and the difficult to find what the trade would be but obvious sort of thing would be to move brogdon either for an expiring contract that clears the money before you run into that crunch or moving into a cap space team getting off the contract entirely, in which case you also might be trying to get under the luxury tax this year because repeater stuff and increased luxury taxes in the new CBA and all that. But there's decisions there about what the best way to go about doing that would be is and and who the right team would be. But yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at Brogdon and say like, if we could get off this contract, I don't know. So a question that's been posed to me a couple of times is, do you think they would have made the trade for him if they knew that this new that these were the terms of the new CBA that were coming because it, I would assume not. And so then you're in a position where even though they're, they've sunk a first round draft pick into it, where you would give him away for nothing. If you could give him away to a cap space team and get literally nothing of value in back, would you do that just to sort of undo it and, and saying like coming out and you know, basically openly saying like, listen, we didn't, the rules changed under our feet. We, we don't want to have to do this, but right. The rules changed and we have to we have to adjust to that uh, because I wonder if they would do that. If if a team that wants an adult in the room, which Brogdon certainly is and has cap space or a team that's missed out on other targets and needs to get up to the salary floor or something like that comes in and just says like, yeah, we would take him for free and that it would would benefit the team to do it. And then you try to re-sign Pritchard or extend Pritchard if you haven't already traded him, I suppose. But right. um, it's not. It's it's not really fair the new CBA the way it's coming in and the teams that it's targeting and and this is kind of where the the initial hit will be on on the Celtics I think yeah and so I mean that's and you mentioned like that's what make this part part of it easier of thing that you have a guy making four million dollars who's not as good as Malcolm Brogdon but he's there and he's also under the team's rights for several more years beyond this um, as a restricted free agent so that part of the equation. Like you don't, you'll lose a little bit from a competitive standpoint, but you also have the ability to gain elsewhere in other parts of the roster. And the, the, that flexibility may make you able to make, build a better team period. Since I don't know, like the fit of Brogdon on this team, I think there's no doubt it was useful to have that in the regular season, but 
when it comes to the playoffs, when it comes to maximizing, you know, Tatum and Brown and making the Celtics bigs better. Like, I don't think Brogdon did that necessarily well when it mattered this year. And I just, and I think him performing with that crunch time lineup period was, went very poorly. If you look at the numbers there, uh, I know that's not all on him, but I think like he came up short in a lot of big spots, whether it's a mixed box out or just poor defense or effort at some point, like it, I don't think that's going to be a massive loss for the team. Big picture to, to lose him. Um, with the flexibility you could potentially gain there. Yeah. And just the ability to, to redeploy your, your minutes to, to other players you're, I think we've heard in stories that have been coming out. There's one on the athletic for, for sure that uh, Jared Weiss and, and Jay King, I think had where the players are basically saying like, we wanted Grant and Rob to be on the floor more. And some of that was difficult, but particularly with Rob's health status during the year, but um, removing a, a sort of high minutes, guard slash sort of wing hard to even define his position this year would open up the opportunity to to get those guys onto the floor more and to play bigger more defensive focused lineups um as your starters there's a whole lot of other stuff that we would have plenty of time to talk about about what the best lineups and rotations would be which we can get to at the beginning of next year but as a base level just saying like uh a little, uh, some fewer minutes from the three guards and Pritchard getting back into the rotation and, and what he brings to the team and more minutes allocated to bigger players like, you know, like the Williamses and, and with you assume Horford stepping back a little bit as he ages and, and other players taking on more of those minutes. And even if that's Muscala having more minutes this year and having a real role, if he, if he's kept on the team and stuff like that, that I don't know how much it would actually hurt the team is I guess what I'm getting at is that if you had to give Malcolm Brogdon away for nothing, I don't actually know if it would impact their wins and losses that that much. Um, and because of the financial considerations that are coming, that's why I look at it and just sort of say like, yeah, I, I think if a team came and said they would take him for nothing, that it it would probably be kind of a cold hearted thing to send him off to a, a team that's not in a great position to win. But you're trying to win a title and that's kind of how these things work. With Marcus, what what kind of offer would you need to actually give serious consideration to this is it's clearly going to be a Brogdon situation where you're looking him to potentially give him away for next to nothing, just to, to clear the books here. That's, I mean, he's more important number levels there. I actually, to be honest, thought he was, this was maybe his best postseason ever um, in terms of, you know, he had his, his ups and down moments, but I think by and large, he, played his role well offensively he played really well defensively he took a step back as the whole team did um but that felt like more of like a full season thing not like a playoffs thing for him so it's it's something you know you look at that as a potential option but it's like it's it's hard to f- figure out okay if you do lose marcus like what what are you getting what adequately replaces him and what are the odds of them actually finding something like that I think that some of the conversation around Marcus becomes a conversation about if they, if it's just sort of run its course, right? If they yeah. are tired of, of all that he is and and brings and, and does it grind you down and, and wear on you over time? Because I don't think that there's a trade that makes a whole lot of sense in terms of like matching salaries and who wants what and, and how you would want to rebalance the roster because you would just kind of want another guard there, Right. Um, 
you could now you could say if you're keeping Brogdon and you're moving smart and, and all these other things where you could try to move towards a bigger player. But um, the part of the thing that I always bring up in, in this is people look at it and, and when they say, well, we need uh, a, a more natural point guard, a more natural playmaker, all that. And what they really mean is at the end of the game, when you're up by six points and there's three minutes left, they want somebody who's going to handle the ball there and, and run the offense to try to get rid of some of these late game foibles. And the point that I always make with that is that that first is a you have to make the case to Jason Tatum that he should not be doing that because sure. he's not particularly good at it. And if he won't allow or the team doesn't direct or whatever it might be for Smart or Derek White or Brogdon to do that on a regular basis, then who exactly are you going out to get in who that will change that? Like trading Marcus Smart for Tyus Jones and being like, well, we want a more natural playmaker. He's not going to get that role in that in that position anyway it's still going to be jason tatum dribbling the ball across the you know across the half court line with seven and a half seconds counted down on the eight seconds and then grinding the game to a to a crawl and you're not going to get prime chris paul right to come in and, and run this team um you are going to have to deal with nobody has an exactly perfect roster and so to me the way what they really need to do is not to trade him away it's either to empower him or or Derek White to run the offense in those situations. And then a lot of the other things will sort of lock into place and the things where he's a negative won't be as important because you'll have positives in big moments. And I'm not saying that he needs to be out there running pick and rolls to try to score. I mean, literally, like it would benefit the team if one of their point guards is the player who would get the ball across half court in five or six seconds and run an initial nothing action. And, and Marcus and Derek could both do that completely capably. And I think if they did that, if Jason allowed them to do that, if the coaching staff directed, if all those things, a lot fewer people would be calling for trading Marcus Smart <laughs> um, and looking for a different type of point guard. And I think if they actually did trade him, what they would find is that the exact same problems persist because it's not actually a problem of that their point guards can't pass and run the offense. It's that their point guards don't run the offense. They run their offense through their wings who have these problems late in the game. Um, and, and so that's where my my thinking on like Marcus's value as a regular season in-game playmaker, as a playoff performer, as a willing, if not particularly good shooter, as a very versatile defender is more valuable than what you're likely to get looking for a sort of traditional point guard, right? That I always just come back to that. Yeah, I, I think you summed that up perfectly there. It's a smart deal would just be a shake it up type scenario being like, all right, let's try to wake everyone up with suppressed blood. I don't like I, but from a solving your issue standpoint, I don't think it's going to, there's not going to be a deal out there where you're going to find someone who probably commands more respect as a point guard than Marcus Smart does point. It'd be nice to, it may nice for some degree to have a guy who's not, I guess, seeking out those three-point shots late in the game where other teams are abandoning him and he's looking to take that shot maybe a little more than he should. But I think this year that was also a problem. And I think whatever player comes back in that role would also have a host of other issues that, you know, Smart does better than them. So it's it's a scenario where, you know, the, the phone lines will be open on him, but it's hard to foresee that coming to fruition there. But so let's look at bigger picture, like CBA now for the, the present and the future and the, like laying it out 
you said some of this stuff doesn't become enacted for a year now. Heading into this offseason, assuming, again, the Celtics stay under the second apron here, or even if they go over the second apron, do they do they still have the mid-level exception for now? Like, what? how do these moves potentially impact of, of reducing salary now impact what they can do this offseason, or is all that pretty much as is um, for this summer, for this first year? So now you're asking me the specifics of which year the different things roll <laughs> in, and I don't have it off the, off the top of my Come head. Come on, Ryan. No, um, like, do, they have the mid-level exception this year no matter what. Like that's yeah. it's just a, it's a smaller version of it, trade, depending on how high they go into the tax. Yeah, and there's trade um, limited sort of trade limitations get rolled in on the second apron. Now I don't think they're going to be over the second apron, mostly because, well, maybe they will. I don't think they'll end up there because um, I think they're going to have to cut money somewhere, uh, even if that's even if they bring back Grant and Malcolm and it's like moving Gallinari or something like that. But um, yeah, the the restrictions that come in for the second apron this year are not super onerous the draft stuff the loss of the mid-level the tpes all disappearing things like that don't kick in right away um but they yeah they they roll in in the second year uh and so is that more of a case to push it all in even more in this upcoming year from well i I don't think that's the right thing to do i I don't (laughs) think i i continually look at this team and no matter how much you want them to be all in and maybe they need to be um but you just look at it and say like jason tatum's 25 years old and do you really want when he's 27 years old to either to be answering the question either did we win the title in the last two years or is he out the door um because you know you've put yourself in a position where you're having to rebuild half the roster or the whole roster around him at, at that point where he's entering his prime and he looks around and says boy this isn't what i signed up for when i signed this extension uh, and so you want to be sustainable it's just that this new CBA is makes it much more difficult to be sustainable, particularly if your starting point is beyond the limits of what they have now given you as the limits. Now, again, those were not the limits before. They did not do anything wrong. They built how you were supposed to build a team under the last CBA. They drafted a bunch of guys. They made reasonable trades. They signed extensions. They didn't go over the luxury tax for years to avoid different, you know, the different repeater penalties and things like that. And then said, well, we made the finals. Now we're going. Now we're going to go and get Gallinari, we're going to go and get Brogdon. And then the league turns around halfway through the year and is like, ha ha, actually that's all bad. And we don't want you doing that. And by the way, you're going to have one transaction cycle in order to fix these problems. And it's, it's just bad design. Like it's unfair to certain teams that it's, it's poor design. It's going to cause a bunch of havoc around the league. It's probably going to make a lot of fans unhappy. Um, and so you're, you know, that, that's the reality of it. Um, they can be all in. It's not, you know, like you said, does that is if there's a case for it, they if they made the finals again, would they be would we having this conversation would be saying, no, you have to be all in. You have to be pushing. You have to be doing what the Bucks did when they went and got got Drew and said, you know, we we need to win now with with Giannis, um, who would have been was the same age that that Tatum will be next year. So. I just don't think that that's prudent. I don't think that's the design of how, you know, what the design of the CBA leads you to to say. Um, but there is a year where if you were going to do it, you know, before Jalen's contract kicks in, before all the rules kick in, you, you can do it, but boy, you better have a plan for how to deal with that a year from now. That's, that's pretty set in stone and, and severe. And you're willing to, uh, risk 
having to pay in order to make that happen. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself in a, in a world of hurt the year after that. Yeah, it's that certainly put the pressure on. And you look around the East, and I guess there, I mean, a lot of these teams are going to be in tough spot. We'll see what happens in Philly. We'll see what Milwaukee can do. Um, but there, you know, there are plenty of other teams that are in tough spots as well. Um, so there will, the Celtics, I assume, are going to be title favorite, East, at least East favorites going into next year, depending on how this plays out um, at the end of the summer. But it, um, like you said, that that carries a lot of risk with it. So speaking of title favorites, before we move on, I just want to, this is hilarious that Caleb Martin is currently in game one of the finals, 0 for 5. Peter mm. shooting under 40% from the field, 25% from three. Uh, the Nuggets are shooting 50, 40, 100. <laughs> um, and, and all of that stuff that, that caught the Celtics um, in, in game one at altitude here. While, while we're talking, I'm watching the box score update going, boy, one game too late. One game too late. <laughs> um, would have been nice for the for the Heat to decide to shoot 25% against the Celtics uh, a couple of games ago. Uh, or one Max Truce, 0 of 7. Five game, yeah, no, I mean, it's... It's just like, and you well, I wonder. I wonder if the, the Nuggets are guarding Caleb Martin. That that'll be the question. Who knows? Yes, yeah, so I'm sure these are all tightly contested shots. All 16 of their threes have been beautifully contested, and they haven't missed a single open shot. Um, and really, it was all just the Celtics' defense that was miserable and terrible, and and no luck was involved. Um, but yes, they're down 15 coming to the end of the first half, um, and can't shooting like the Celtics did. Funny how that works. Doesn't not, many... not hurt. Doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Totally okay with this. <laughs> there might be a lot of broken TVs in Celtics uh, headquarters by the end of this. But they're probably or at home. They're not watching this at the Airbag Center. Um, all right, let's kind of wrap up here. We'll we'll be able to dive more into you know draft specific you know names to target and free agency and whatnot as we as that gets closer here. But the the rest of the roster from the bench standpoint. We talked about Grant, we but we didn't talk about like Gallo, Rob Williams, and Al Horford. I think are fully safe just for a variety of reasons on that front. But I'm curious. Well, I assume with Gallinari, if you kept him at the trade deadline, you're keeping him. If they traded him this off season, that would look really, really like what are we doing? I feel like I guess you can make the case well, that the CBA might. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, no, that's what I'm thinking though. But like, if it's like, well, if you're gonna give him away now, like, why didn't you do that when you could maybe help the team? Well, my ago? point, not helping the team in terms of adding a player. Like, they may trade him, may have to pay. Yeah, they'll have to add, they'll have to cap space or something. You know, right. Another attach a pick off a contract, and this one wouldn't really would not be their fault as opposed to some of the ones in. in um, years not that long ago where you felt like they had made a miscalculation and they were paying to get off it. This would be completely just like the CBA has put them in a bad spot. So it would be understandable. Uh, yeah, I mean, I assume something has to go. Somebody has is going to have to go because I think they're going to have to cut costs in some places. Uh, and again, that could just be that Grant gets an offer that's $18 million and they, they can't match it. But um, if not, it could be, yeah, Gallinari and Muscala out to save $10 million and you replace them with minimums for $4 million or something like that. That That's also, it could be that simple. Muscala is going to be fascinating. It's $3.5 million team option, he's which is just, player. he's that's a good player. Thing. Slightly above the minimum, just like for his, cool. for someone, his, with his experience. Um, Obviously he'd be guaranteed to come back if, if Grant 
uh, went out the door. But at that point, no, they'll have to make a decision on that anyway, regardless, before they probably even know yeah. about Grant. Um, even though I guess probably those negotiations will be going ongoing in the middle of June, despite them, you know, officially not taking place till July 4th or whatever. Um, but yeah, like in terms of the complexion of the bench now, if, if Brogdon is gone, what, how would you ideally like to reconstruct things from just a, a positional standpoint here? Is it finding another wing to maybe take some pressure off of the Jays and then can actually stretch the floor a little bit. Slash defend. I mean, those guys don't grow on trees, but you have, you do have some weapons and some, some salary to try to find someone and that can do at least some of that stuff. I don't um, think they or, do, though, because you can't spend money long-term. Like, I just don't think there's money there. You can find a guy like Caleb Barton, right? Like you can right. find somebody who's way underpaid and who you get lucky on and, or, or have very good scouting on or something like that. But just wings are so expensive. Like the idea that they're going to be able to add another playoff caliber wing. Um, that's seems like a long shot. So where'd you go for a big or like a best player available type situation? I don't know the... if they're adding anybody. I mean, I'm talking about like cutting money for long-term sustainability here. So I can't then turn around and say like, oh, I expect them to go and get this like good player who they're going to, who they're going to put in there. Like, I think that your team, if you were to be, if they were able to move Brogdon for cost saving purposes, like I said, you, you know, you may get back a player in that who just makes a lot less money and is a, is a useful player. You may be getting like literally nothing back. Um, and again, they may just keep Brogdon and like the roster may be very, very similar to what it is now. And they just have to make some moves, like I said, Gallinari and Muscala or something like that. But your your core playing rotation is, is very much similar. If they have made a move, like I think you're, it would be completely reasonable to say like Smart, Jalen, Jason, Grant and Rob are starting Al and as you know, to try to save his legs in the regular season comes off the bench. Derek White, who should be starting over Marcus in that conversation, really, but for political reasons, wouldn't because he's your six man and comes in whenever anybody's hurt, which is always going to happen. You have to elevate Hauser. Like Sam Hauser needs to be playing and playing in the playoffs next year because otherwise you don't have enough. You need wings and shooting. And if Duncan Robinson and you know can play, then yeah, you want Sam Hauser to do more of the things that he was doing with back cutting and stuff like that as, as part of your offense. But like he needs to play. And then, like I said, I think Muscala is actually a good player and, and could be part of that rotation. And, and yeah, you feel like you're short a wing, but so's... 28 other teams like everybody's short a wing um, and you hope that you can find one and develop another Javante Green or, or Max Struess from that, that same class uh, or Sam Hauser where that player is coming from it's it, kind of hard to to envision but um, I don't number 35 overall pick <laughs> yeah Yuhan Begeron right um, and you may be in a position where like where does where does Gallinari fit into that coming off an injury at his age and like yeah he can I'm sure he can still shoot um but where would he fit in into that? It, it, maybe you look at that and say, if, if they had had Gallinari healthy, they never would have gone and got Muscala to begin with. So it's an either or for them. Like, but you're talking about tenth man in the rotation sort of stuff. Like, I, I think it's most likely that the top nine guys are coming from this roster some way or another, and, and maybe even more than that. Uh, and they're largely running it back. I don't know. I think I think they should. I, yeah, it's I I would get if they do that. I think that would be underwhelming if they do that i don't I know just, they can't trade more picks like especially with the way that the cba is coming in those guys who get picked at 25th and make two and a half million three million dollars a year like you're going to need them in order to fill out a roster that fits under the second apron once 
Tatum is making 35% and either Jalen is as well, or you've traded Jalen for two guys who are making less, but still add up to a lot of money and you've kept Rob and Marcus and, you know, you can Derek White's open for an extension this year. I'm not hoping open for him. Like he can be extended this year. Um, you have to keep a pipeline of cheap young talent coming in. And like, how are you going to acquire these players if you can't trade away your first round picks? Like go to the Miami Heat route. About. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> if you find these players and you can just develop them, then that's amazing. But, um, you know, you're, you're banking a lot on that. I, I think there's an interesting conversation about depending on what other, what else happens and the timing of how things work out and all that about, about Pritchard. And he obviously wants to be traded, but if they can go back to him and say, you're actually the third guard on this team and you're not going to drop out of the rotation, you know, there's a role for you here. It would, I think it would be hard to extend him because he would hear that and think, well, then I'm going to take my year and then try to make money out on the, you know, out on the free agent market if I actually have a role here and you're not going to trade me. But maybe he can be extended at a reasonable, you know, pretty low price and and he's a third guard and and settles into that role. I just they need they would need somebody there. Uh, so I think there's an interesting conversation there. If you lost him as well, you would have to replace that because you would need another guard at that point. If you lost, you know, both both right. Brogdon and and Pritchard. But in terms of like high profile acquisitions that people might want to go look at, it just seems really unlikely that they're in a position to do that just because of what's coming down the line. It's true. But uh, yeah, the Pritchard scenario, that's fascinating one to in terms of like, would he, would he trust them to sign that extension thinking like, would they lay out a case from after trading Brock to me? Like, listen, we have, this is how the new CBA works. Like you're going to, you're our guy now. You're our bench card for this year and the foreseeable future. So sign for X, Y, and Z like that. I think that would probably be good business for them in the long term, um, in terms of being able to maximizing this roster with their limitations and staying relevant in the present. But that's given how this past year gone, given how he's been yanked around the last couple of years, um, that'll be a fine, uh, fascinating, just like discussion, especially since they'd have to sign that deal with him by the end of October. And decide not to trade him, right? Right. They, where he fits in the the initial trade market and and what's moving around and if they can if they want to trade him and get a second round pick out because again they need to have a pipeline of younger talent coming in down the line how you and it seemed in the middle of the year like they'd almost promised him that i i don't think they did but the way he sort of talks about it it's been he's just assuming that he's being traded assume that that there's a trade coming that he wants to be traded that maybe he's trying to just speak it into existence i don't know but um how out is he on the team after basically going through a, a run into the finals and playing through the playoffs and then turning around and they go and get a veteran player and put him above him. And he's basically, you know, barely playing this year when, when the money's really on the line for him. Um, he's and looking watching at, Malcolm you know, Brogdon miss every gone. single shot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> that injury hurt. was just so unfortunate. Unfortunately timed like the, like Derek white getting injured right when he was getting on a roll in game seven and Jason Tatum getting injured 26 seconds in and whatever happened to Rob being has, you know, he's a parent. So it's, it's May and he gets rotavirus and is throwing up and who knows what happened with Jalen's hand and everything, you know, it's, but yeah, the Brogdon one is sort of the most visible one. Cause he went from shooting 44% in the regular season to not being able to hit the rim in the playoffs. And yet throughout that, that series, he's, he's playing most of the time and you're going, this seems like a mistake. This doesn't seem like the right, the right thing to be doing right now. But um, yeah, it, tough tough situation for for Pritchard it's understandable for him to be sitting there and thinking like my career is on the line here and and my future earnings are on the line and suddenly I'm just completely out of uh, you know out of out of uh, contention here for minutes even 
Um, so it would be understandable even if they went to him and said, look, there's going to be a role for him. And he was just like pound sand. I want to get out of here. And then they'd have to to decide what they want to do there. It, it may even be that they would just keep him and say like, okay, well, we'll figure it out when you get to restricted free agency. Um, but I mean, I think he's a professional. Like if they put him on the floor, he's going to play and try hard. I don't think oh, yeah, he he'll play. up sticks and quit on the team. He didn't last year. He Every time they put him out there, he worked hard and tried. But um, you can understand where he's coming from. All right. Well, that'll be one of the many subplots between we even really talk about the grant situation much we'll get into that later um this month along with everything else on the table for this team as draft approaches we do have a, a relevant a top 40 draft pick first time in the brad stevens era that'll be exciting ryan we have the full release of the collective bargaining agreement coming at a time to be determined probably 12 hours one the one hour before <laughs> 15 minutes before free agency starts they're gonna put the whole thing out uh, who knows? It's, it's going to be electric to find out what everybody trying to understand how all these how all these little paragraphs got turned into 600 pages of legalese will be a wonderful experience on the eve of <laughs> the eve of free agency. <laughs> what a league. Um, but I guess baseball did the same exact thing when they uh, started their season last year. But there's so no rules just, in baseball. There's no rules. It's true. <laughs> just like... Everything's everything's like dory. All right. Make sure you're following Ryan as always. At Danger Card, make sure you check out his uh, Medium post with a extensive breakdown of what we do know about the CBA so far. That will, and they'll be sure be more to come on there and on here with Ryan as the offseason continues and we find out more. But um, that's your start. It's going to be a real interesting um, side choices for Brad Stevens and company. And uh, I don't know, Ryan, will be any final thoughts here? What's uh, are you, you're Status quo is that's your the name of the, your game here? Uh not I mean not really. Like I said, I I think that the name of the game now is getting ready for a future where they do have to trade Jalen, but it's not this year, and getting your your books in line for dealing with this with this new agreement, which as I've said, I think is poorly designed and, and unfair. Um, but it's the rule set you're given, so you have to to deal with it. Um, but I mean that's when I read it, when I when I go through the rules and try to map it all out, the takeaway that I have is that they have a maximum of two years um, for for the pair of, of Jalen and Jason, unless they win a title and are just like, screw it. Like, we're making so much money and we're going to keep it all together somehow and we'll deal with losing draft picks seven years down the line and all that. Um, and maybe that that does actually change things. But to me, it's like, yeah, you've got two years to either do that or or make a move and probably only one year. And probably this year you need to start moving in the direction of, of what this CBA is saying that they want teams to do. Uh, so not really status quo, but at the very top of the of the rotation, yeah, probably status quo. All right. Well, those two years will be pretty important. Uh, but the, the work starts now to, to get the books in place. And we'll be keeping a close eye on it all offseason long here on the Wing Plays pod with Ryan and, and several others. But thanks for listening, guys, and we'll get back with you next week.